here we are now with another episode of the Andrew Lake Podcast. If you are a regular listener of the Andrew Lake Podcast, please share your favourite episode as this will help me find my audience. It will help to find the people who are ready to hear what we are talking about here. And today, I'd like to talk about repression. And I'd like to, as usual, as we always do in these conversations, do it from the perspective of a multidimensional perspective, from the perspective of the full spectrum, the whole range, from the very bottom to the very top, all the ins and outs, ups and downs, so that we are comprehensive, covering all our ground. Now, repression is one of those words that comes up again and again in both New Age circles and psychology and religion even, and spirituality in general. So, as I so often do on some of the words that we use in our conversations, I'm going to put a disclaimer on it, or just a warning on it, to say, always be careful when you hear this word as to what sort of definition the person is using in order to use that word and what it means, because it means something different within different contexts. Words mean things depending on their contexts. So keep that in mind. And here today, with this context, within this context, within this conversation, we are building a new meaning to the word repression. And we're working with what it means for you to hear this word repression. So we've got five levels of repression. And before we go into those Let's just zoom back out. Let's zoom way, way back out a bit. And we say, okay, so we've got phenomenon. We've got reality. There's something happening. Something is happening. (laughs) Something is happening. (laughs) I often giggle when I hear someone say that. I often say it myself too. It's quite a funny saying of mine, I guess. Something is happening. (laughs) feel like I could tell a story about that phrase, something is happening. I'm sure there is a story in there, but this is off topic. So we've got our phenomenon, we've got reality, we've got what we're experiencing. Now, how do we understand it? How do we navigate it? How do we know what's going on? How do we come into harmony with it? and so on. Now, there are spiritual notions that man or mankind or a human being has a natural way of being. And this is not the same as being in nature, as in living like a caveman. That's a different kind of natural way of being. That's nature as in an epoch. I'm talking about natural as in even more broadly than that, in that you can be natural within wherever you are, wherever you are, whenever you are, in this life, in this existence, in reality. And we are, well, out of that naturalness. We're out of that harmony. We're in a discordance. And, well, another way of saying this is what we could be aligned with reality or unaligned or out of alignment. And essentially these two ideas, these two things of, oh, there's a natural way of being and we are in disharmony, are the two things we're trying to reconcile with this idea of repression, One of the ways we can understand it is by talking about repression in the way that we're talking about it here. So, 
you can argue that, well, there is no natural way to be. And in the broader, in an even more broader sense than these two oppositions of naturalness and unnaturalness, then, well, everything just is. And you can argue that. And there's truth to that as well, of course. But for the purposes of this conversation and for the purposes of delving into your relative being and how you are on a day-to-day basis, the more down to the more practical side of things, the more ABC sort of understanding of things, it isn't so far off in the clouds, well, you need to have this concept of alignment and unalignment or harmony and discordance or naturalness, or going against your nature. And as we go through these five levels of repression, it will be clear to you how those two sides of the coin apply and where you can identify them. And it really is one of those things that you can get quite confused about because you think, well, There are spiritual people saying, well, everything just is, so just accept everything and everything is fine how it is. And yet there's also all this pain in the world. There's also all this frustration. And you also have all your relative things that you want to have realized and desires and impulses and drive and intuition and all these sorts of things. So reconciling those and really getting yourself into a picture of How it all fits together is what we're talking about here. And the way we do that is, well, we look at the whole spectrum. We explain both sides of the coin. And we look at some examples as well. The other thing I'll say is that probably further on from that, you also have to be comfortable with this idea of levels. And I've said this before, and and I'll say it again. And I say it every time we talk about anything that is to do with levels. And that is that, on the one hand, levels imply that there is a foundation. And then there is a a better version on top of that. And then an even better version, like a hierarchy of what's better and what's worse. Or what comes first, what comes second, what's come third. And that's important. That's what levels are. But on the other side, you also need to understand the paradox of levels, which is that every single level exists simultaneously and is ever-present. And every level varies only in its essence rather than its quality, as in quality of good and bad. We could say its quality as a value is different to its quality as how it's different from everything else. So we've talked about levels in many other conversations, and you can always go back and listen to them as well for further information about levels. So from here, I'm going to assume that you understand that paradox. I'm going to assume that you can hold those two things within you. So five levels of repression... So think of your life and think of what you can repress and think of what comes to mind when you think of repression and the different levels that it has. What levels can you think of? The first level and the most obvious level is the physical level. So this is your body, your muscles, how you move. It means clenching your fist, clenching your eyebrows, and it also means moving around where you move. And this begins with your conditioning right back to when you're first born, from the very moment you're born, which is that you first learn to navigate the lounge room. And so you'll be crawling around and learning to walk, and then you'll be picking things up and putting them in your mouth, 
And mummy will be saying, no, little doster, don't put that in your mouth. That's not for eating. And she'll be taking it off me. And then you get a little bit older and you'll be climbing on things and pulling things off the shelves. And mummy will be saying, no, don't climb so high, you'll hurt yourself. Or don't go over there, or don't break that, or something might happen if you do that. And mummy is putting physical restrictions on little doster, on baby doster. And that conditioning forms into a set of boundaries by which baby doster, little doster, then grows up to use as a way of navigating the physical world. So the person in case, well, me, how I am is that, well, I'm the case, I'm the guinea pig, I'm the example for this part of the conversation, is someone who's walking around and sensing the boundary of something and saying, oh, no, I shouldn't go there or I should go there or I can go there or I can't go there. Now, it's not just... It's not just the parenting that does this. It's not just parenting conditioning. There are also f- things that occur to the child. So the child might hurt themselves. Say the child climbs up something and then falls off. Well, then they're going to associate that and that's going to feed into the conditioning. So the, the, the parenting is just one part of it. And conditioning is this huge, vast web of complexities. So don't think that it's all, <laughs> it's all on the parents or anything like that. And, of course, also, little doster is still going to test boundaries. And adult doster is also going to test boundaries. I'm still going to be seeing, oh, does this still apply or does it not? And that's going to change my conditioning. So it unfolds on itself, conditioning does, which is only ever making it more complex. But that's the physical level. So... An example of physical repression would be having an impulse to go somewhere and yet something else within the person is stopping them. And that will manifest itself physically. There'll be a, an, a, a resistance within the body. And that's level one. That's the physical level. So level two is the emotional level. So you have emotions, you have good feelings, and you have bad feelings. And that's the essential dichotomy of emotions. And like you have physical boundaries, you have emotional boundaries. And you have emotional desire. So physical the, the thing that's driving the physical is impulse. So that's your hunger or your sex, sexual lust or your need to go and do a poopy and a pee-pee. And if you resist those things, if you resist the physical body, then, well, you're going to have a physical clenching. So you can clench your butt cheeks and you can clench your stomach if you're hungry you can hold yourself on like that's imagine yourself really needing to go to the bathroom and you're holding on that's an example of physical repression now with emotional repression what you need to understand is that is also encased in the physical level so the emotional level has a physical component to it so you have feelings within you feelings of guilt feelings of shame and so that would mean that little doster does something And then mummy comes along and yells at him and he feels very bad, he feels guilty, he feels shame. Or little Doster does something, maybe he makes an artwork or he creates something and mummy comes along and says, ah, that's very good, well done, and he feels very good. And so he does more of those things and so on. And as this emotional conditioning evolves also just like in the physical it's not just from the parents but also the the surrounds and the environment of the child well it complexifies and the child or the being is learning to 
have certain desires or certain desires are coming up and they're learning to navigate into them. Now, the certain situations, the physical situations that are associated with negative emotions, well then, they're going to avoid them in the physical sense. And that's an example of how the emotional level affects the physical level. So emotions are all about desire. So if the physical is all about impulse, physical is driven by impulse, the emotional is all about the desire. And that's level two. And when you resist an emotion, say you have a desire coming up and there's something associated with it in your conditioning that says it's wrong or you shouldn't have it, well, then there's a, a resistance which also plays itself out in the physical body. So if you're em emotionally resisting something, you're also physically resisting it. So say, for example, you're angry and you don't want to be angry, then you'll clench your teeth or you'll clench your fist and you'll go, Arr. so a growl, like the Arr sound, is almost like wanting to bark, but you're not letting yourself bark. You want to howl and say something or scream or do something physically and you're restraining yourself. So you're clenching your muscles. And the same thing can happen with happiness. The same thing can happen with pleasure. If you're feeling very good, someone's making you feel very good. Someone's giving you sorts of, sorts of praise and saying how wonderful you are or in any sort of way that they can make you feel good. And you've been conditioned that that's a bad thing, that can occur, then you're actually also going to clench. There's something going to happen within your physical body. And clenches can happen all over the physical body. It can happen in shoulder blades, in your neck, in your eyes, in your mouth, in your hips, in your knee, in your ankles, in your toes. And they all have a place. All these emotions are having this place. So, some, some therapists will, re will recount or sort of draw the emotional level back to the physical level and say, well, everything emotional and energetic has a place in the physical body. And that's true, but that's not to equate the emotional level with the physical level. Now, for level three, we've got the mental level. So... This is the words that are used. So when you have little Dosta being told something, well, then that comes with a collection of words. So he's got his physical repression, his emotional repression, and the words that his mother said to him that go along with it. And then he's going to be going around saying things, doing things, and trying to feel things that would stop the bad words from happening and to make the good words come. And it's not just the words that his mother has said. Well, it's also all the words that have been said by the people around his entire environment, in the entire environment. And it's also the words that he says. And even further than that, and in the late stages of mental development, it's the words that he thinks and there can be repression within the mind. So he's having a certain dialogue, and then he'll say to himself, Oh, I shouldn't think that. Oh, I shouldn't think that. That's a terrible thing to think. Oh, I'm never going to tell anyone. Oh, I can't believe I think that. Oh, that's a terrible thought. These sort of reactions. So he's reacting mentally to himself within his mind, which is a kind of mental repression. So I've called the mental level drive. And I don't know if that's really the right word as the propellant to go with impulse and impulse for the physical level, desire for the emotional level, and drive for the mental level. I don't know. Maybe there's a better word. How would you describe the propellant of the mind? I don't know. What's, what's driving the mind? Well, maybe it's drive itself. That's why I've used that word, because I asked, 
what's driving the mind? And I thought, well, you can just say it's being driven, and that's what's making it happen. So just like the emotional level rests on the physical level, so too does the mental level. So you can have a thought, you can have a bad thought, and then resist it, which will then give you a feeling which you want to resist, which will then manifest itself in the physical body, the physical world, which is trying to resist. So say you have a bad thought, then you'll clench your body. This is, the, this is like the cringe. Have you seen this cringe culture? That's what they call it on the internet. If you've been trawling internet brain, there are all these popular videos about those cringe moments. Oh, cringe. I mean, I guess it's just what... Cringe is just what the current generation calls a mental repression or, or a, a repression of the mental level manifesting itself within the physical. Now, is a cringe emotional? Well, it sort of is emotional. It's quite a unique emotion. It's like an awkwardness. Just a straight discomfort. But that's a good example of, well, the mental level and the emotional level and the physical level all occurring simultaneously. Okay, so now we get to level four. And level four is the existential level. And it's here that the word repression needs to morph itself. Because the previous three levels, they sort of imply two things. They sort of imply something has happened and you're trying to stop it from happening again. And that's repression. So you're pressing on something again. Re means again. And pression can, for the sake of today's conversation, mean press. So you're pressing on it again. That's, the, that's a really sort of crude definition of the word repression. So on the physical, emotional, and mental level, something has occurred. It was bad. And then when it happens again, you press on it to try and stop it from happening again. And that's essentially repression in the first three stages. Now, when we get to the fourth stage, then we have the existential level, and it's something that's actually not happening again, but it's something that is about to happen, or something that is trying to happen, something that is going to happen. And many psychologists say that this is, well, it's not repression, it's resistance. You're trying to stop the higher stages from emerging. Now, resistance also occurs within the lower levels. And that's why we've got these two sides of repression, which is stopping something from happening again and also something from occurring. But it applies better. It just applies better to the spectrum if we say that the first three levels are repression and the later stages are resistance. So the existential level is resistance to something that wants to unfold. And that is a higher identity. That is the questions of things like, who am I? What am I doing with my life? Why am I here? What do things mean? Where did it all begin? Does God exist? Does anyone know that I exist? <laughs> Is anybody listening to me? <laughs> and those are the existential questions. And, well, they sit on top of all of the previous levels. So when you have a question like, well, what are you doing? And this is, this is the classic sort of party conversation starter. Like, what do you do with yourself? And then you have this big cringe, right? What do you do with yourself? Have you ever experienced that? What do you do? Cringe. Oh, I hate that question. Suddenly, emotional, mental, and physical repression all comes up because of this existential question. 
Well, what's happening there is that you've got the question, but you haven't answered it. You've resisted it. And that then translates into mental mess about, like, oh, don't ask that question. Oh, I don't want to hear that question. Oh, I don't want to do something with that question because I haven't thought about it. And every time I think about it, I think, oh, don't think about that because I can't come up with an answer. And then you've got the emotions that go with it, like worry and shame and guilt. And and then it's all physical as well. It comes down to the physical body. You start to have a nervous tick. You have a tension in your shoulder. And really, it's all just your own repression. It's all your own resistance. Because if you're at a dinner party and you get asked this question, what do you do with yourself? And you've answered those existential questions like, well, this is what I do. And also, I'm not entirely defined just by my doing. And this is what it means to me. And I do have ups and downs. And I feel good about some things and bad about some other things. And it's been quite a journey to get here. And I'd also prefer to be doing something else. And you've got all these things because you've thought them all through. Then that question isn't a problem. And of course, you wouldn't answer that question like that. You could just have those things within you in order to feel comfortable. (laughs) And then answer it with, oh, I just run a podcast or... I've got a job or whatever, something. You can be modest with your self-knowledge. <laughs> but under the surface, I mean, that, that's the difference. That's the difference between existential repression and existential harmony. That's the difference that is within someone. So, so think of it. Let's, let's really make this clear. You're at a dinner party and someone asks... What do you do with yourself? Well, let's make it like a really pointed existential question. Someone says, who are you? Now, when someone says that, maybe it's just because they're saying, well, who who are you? As in a sort of hierarchy, sort of success meme paradigm. But let's, let's, let's pretend we're all being existential and they're asking, who are you in the existential sense? Now, you're at the dinner party, and there's two versions of you. One version is full of repression, and they've resisted the question. Well, they're going to be confused. They're not going to have answers. They're going to not want to hear the question. They're going to want to run away, and they're going to feel very awkward about it, which will be the emotional level, and they're going to have a physical resistance to it. So there'll be a clench somewhere in the body when they hear that question. Now, that's one version of you. Now, the other version of you is someone who has thought about those questions. And they can answer it in many ways. And how they feel about those thoughts and the feelings that are associated with those thoughts are pleasant. Because, well, they've learned to transmute the negativity into something positive. And they've also learnt to relax with those questions. And, well, it can actually be quite joyful to hear that question. It can be quite funny. And that's actually happened to me <laughs> more, more and more recently. Someone would ask me someone would ask me a sort of conversational starter question, like, what do you do with yourself? And I just start laughing because all the things within me would open up and they'd start happening. And I'd realize, ah, that's an existential question. And all the, th- all the journeys that I've been on to answer it and all the ups and downs and the ins and outs would come springing to life when they ask it. And so I'd just laugh. <laughs> and of course, they think, well, who is this weirdo? I'm just trying to start a conversation. And he starts laughing at me. Do you see anything funny here? Do you see anything funny here? Do you see anything funny going on here? Well, whose fault is that? Because this is very serious psychological discussion that we are talking about here. We're talking about repression here and existential angst. This is very serious stuff. I hope you are being 
very serious about this. I don't see anything funny happening here at all. So that's the existential level. <laughs> level five, this is the last level. And this is, oh, I forgot to add from the existential level. The existential resistance or the propellant is from intuition. So your intuition is the existential level. So on the physical level, you've got impulse. On the emotional level, you've got desire. On the mental level, you've got drive. And on the existential level, you've got intuition. So those are the things that are behind your repression and resistance across those first four levels. Okay, so level five, spiritual level. So the spiritual level is the one that brings them all full circle. The spiritual level is the one that allows you to see that they all occur at the same time. And it's a little bit tricky to talk about the spiritual level because it's the level of non-duality and resistance is all about duality. So on the level of spiritual resistance, you can get around it, or essentially the whole trick to it is to say, no, I'm not emotionally repressing myself. I want to be emotionally repressing myself. Or I'm not mentally repressing myself, or I'm not being mentally neurotic. I'm enjoying my neuroses or my mental repression. And I'm not existentially confused. I'm just enjoying being not, you know, it's, it's sort of hard to say how you step out of it, but you can always one up and always step back one step further. And that's really a trick of the spiritual level that applies to every other level. It's the step into the, the ultimate to resolve the relative. Now, the propellant of the spiritual level is revelation. And it's quite rare for someone to really arrive at that level because, in a sense, you need a certain amount of harmony within the lower levels in order to allow for revelation to happen. And essentially... You're talking about quite a complex process, quite a complex series of harmonies, because at each level, it becomes compounded in its complexity. So the spiritual level is all about, well, reaching it is all about how do you find those harmonies within the relative self to allow the ultimate self to shine through. And I've called it revelation because... On the existential level, you contemplate, you find answers for yourself, and you think things through for yourself, and there's still a sense of autonomy. But on the spiritual level, your autonomy is morphing into, well, something very different, something very different to what it is in the rational level. So things are not brought about by your own conditioning or your own autonomy or your own deeds, or even your own situation. It's really brought to you from another planet. It's brought from you, brought to you from the divine. And that's why it's called revelation. And revelation, I'm just using as a broad term. So we could also call it insight, or communing with the divine, or hearing voices from beyond or opening up to the voice of the universe, or tapping into higher frequencies, or these sorts of phrases. All these sorts of phrases we're using interchangeably here, and I've summed them all up by just calling it revelations. And if you want to hear more about the higher levels of development, then I have an episode about the sage, the saint, and the yogi, and that goes into that 
level in a lot more detail. And you can understand that by listening there. So those are the five levels. We've got physical, emotional, mental, existential, and spiritual. And respectively, for the physical, we've got impulse. For the emotional, we've got desire. For the mental, we've got drive. For the existential, we've got intuition. And for the spiritual, we've got revelation. Now, what you can do for each of the levels is work on them. And the way you work on them is by having the correct method for each of the levels. And essentially, you always want to start at the bottom and work your way up. So for the physical level, you have body work. So this means going to the gym, doing yoga, doing Tai Chi and Qigong doing sports, doing balancing exercises, doing relaxation exercises or activities like massaging or aquapuncture or skin treatments or Ayurveda methods, any of these sorts of things. And you're working with the physical body. You can learn dance. Dance is a big one. Dance can open up a lot for you. Learn ballroom dancing. Learn pop dancing. Go to a music concert and dance. Dance by yourself in your room. Nothing wrong with that. No one's going to know. Except you. Dance in the kitchen while you're cooking breakfast. And sing along too if you can. If you remember the words. So dance is in the level of the physical body. And learning to relax is really one of the keys to all the other levels. And some therapists will work with existential things, mental things, emotional things via the body, which means they'll sit down with you and they'll confront your issues on one of those levels. And every time the issue comes up, they'll point at the part of your body which is becoming tense. Or they'll say, what, what's happening with your feet? Or what's happening with your shoulders? And that will draw your attention to the physical level from the area that you're repressing most. So say you have an existential resistance and that's your main issue. Well, you can then translate that back to the level of the physical and we can say that, well, some therapists or whoever are just saying that, well, everything's physical or everything's spiritual and they're forgetting about the other stages. And that doesn't really matter. It doesn't really matter if they're saying that or what they're thinking. What matters is that you understand the differences. So body work is for the physical level. For the emotional level, you have your therapy. And that would mean that you're doing certain things to bring up your emotions. You're doing certain things to experience your emotions. You're putting yourself in certain situations to experience the same feelings again. So say you have a phobia or a fear or a trauma. What your therapist is going to do is to slowly build up this thing within you that is the part that can go back into that experience. And they'll build it up over time. And you'll actually relive your trauma. You'll be put into a situation which feels the same as you felt when you had that trauma. So say if you... Say if you had trauma that occurred when you were in a dark alley somewhere, well, your therapist is going to work with you to actually go and put you into a dark alley and they're going to walk you in very slowly and carefully. And they're going to use that environment to trigger it again and walk you through it. And then you're reliving that experience and those emotions consciously. 
because the therapist will be there and they'll be saying, now come back also to that part within you that is doing the navigating. And that's the emotional level. And you notice that, well, in that, they're using the physical level to trigger the emotional level. And the way into the emotional level is through the physical. So if you're doing more dancing, then you're going to open up your emotions more. So they're all connected, these stages. So for level three, you've got cognitive work. Study. Learn psychology. Learn philosophy. Read books. Write your journal. Those are things that you can do on your own. On a therapeutic level, you can talk about your problems. Listen to your therapist talk. Listen to theories of therapy. Listen to theories of psychology. Have certain conversations with your friends. Find that one friend that you can have those meaningful conversations with. That's very important. Have those conversations with your family. Talk to your family about your issues. That's the mental level. And you're talking. And as you're talking, as you're having the conversation, if you talk in a certain way, then your emotions are going to come up. And there will be physical changes within you. Your blood pressure might rise. You might start sweating, <laughs> depending, on, depending on what your issues are, of course. There's a whole range of symptoms of what can change within you when you talk about certain things. So it's quite hard to have a full list of examples of those things. The main thing is to watch and to notice and occur and, and, and notice when they occur. Notice what is occurring when you're on the mental level. So cognitive work is sorting out the mind. It's getting your thoughts straight. It's being clear with how you speak in order to be clear with how you think. And the way you do that is to listen to people who speak clearly, read books that are written clearly, and to go back into your tangles and write about them. Because initially you'll see that it's a mess. You'll see that there's something in your life that when you really try and put pen to page, it's quite tricky. It's quite hard. Most people just walk around with that ball of knots within them because it's so hard. They don't even try. They just say, oh, it's a big ball of knots. Just Let's just forget about that. And that's repression. That's exactly what repression is. Whereas if you go back into it and then you start to clear it out, well, then you're, well, then you're writing, you're rewriting your own story quite literally. Now, for the existential level, that's the level of the soul. And so that's contemplation. So that means asking the questions and coming up with the answers. Who am I? What am I? Why am I here? What do I want to do? What do I want to achieve? And a certain amount of cognitive ability is needed for that. So you do need a certain amount of mental capacity to get to the existential level. And to do that, well, to contemplate, you need to have the other four levels clear. So you need to have your physical level clear. So it means remove all your distractions. Turn off the TV, turn off the internet, turn off your phone, put your books away, put your computer away. Or just go, just go out into nature. Go somewhere by yourself. Get away from it all. And have your emotions set. Have your emotions sorted out to some degree of stability. And have your thoughts in order. Understand that you can recognize when you're thinking clearly. And take advantage of the time when you are. And that will allow for contemplation. That will allow for work on the existential level. And it's quite rare that people get to that because they're still caught up in the mental, emotional and physical. 
and very much it's very much so that the existential level can bring up those first three levels in a very clear way because if you just remove yourself from all the distractions then your repressions come up and it might be that you're not dealing with the issues of who am I or what am I here to do what does life mean no it might be that you're dealing with oh why did that person say something about me or why did why did mummy treat little dosta the way she did when little dosta was a kid it might be oh i hope i don't feel this certain way oh i hope i don't have those bad thoughts so you have to have a certain amount of openness or a, a, you have to have integrated your repression a certain amount before you can get to the existential stage now for level 5 the spiritual level we have meditation now contemplation and meditation we can split hairs and say that they're different things but essentially they are the same things and when we get to the spiritual level and meditation we need to understand that there are certain methods there are certain meditation techniques that are better for the existential level than they are for the spiritual level and there are also meditations for the mental level and the emotional level and even for the physical level you notice that you see that most in sports so a sports psychologist or a sort of motivational sports performance advisor will have certain meditations for the physical level and they don't really they don't really call it meditation though they'll call it mindset or the inner game of tennis or the inner game of soccer or these sorts of things so it's not really called meditation in the lower levels but essentially it is a form of meditation so in the higher levels for the spiritual level well find the meditation that is right for you and find the meditation that will work to allow you to open to revelation and you need to have a degree of mastery already over the previous levels because a meditation is going to have every component of the previous level to it to varying degrees or at least you're going to have think of it this way think of it like you're a being and in order for things to change or for you to evolve i i don't really want to use the word evolve for for you to navigate further deeper into reality you have to first deal with what's in your face you have to first deal with the first problem and that's essentially what repression is that's essentially what is happening with your repression it's that you have a problem and you can't deal with it there's something there and you don't know what to do about it and that's repression on every level you have a a physical condition and you don't know how to deal with it you have an emotion and you don't know how to deal with it you have a thought something on the mental level and you don't know how to deal with it you have a question of existential meaning and you don't know how to deal with it and on the spiritual level well you've got all this noise coming along that <laughs> it just doesn't occur <laughs> so I don't want to spend too much time. I don't think there's really much more to say on the spiritual level because the other side of it is that it's always there and it's ever present even when you are resisting and repressing repressing so you can't get away from it. So it's more important to once you understand the relationship between the relative and the ultimate to have an appropriate response. And that's exactly why people who 
deeply understand this whole thing of, oh, everything is spirit, everything is one, they actually go very deep into the relative. They actually realize that, oh, I need to go back. I need to go and fix up all this repression. I need to deal with all my relative issues to allow me to go deeper into reality. Because the deeper I go, the more often these issues are going to come up and I need to know how to deal with them. I need to know how to deal with my emotions. I need to know how to deal with my thoughts. I need to know how to deal with my existential questions. So that's five levels of repression. And if you want to build a routine, this would be a great blueprint. You have body work, therapy, cognitive work, contemplation, and meditation. And really you could do meditation and contemplation in the same thing. And that would mean that you... So, so, so an easy example of that would be every day you do body work, 20 minutes yoga. You do therapy, write in your journal. You do cognitive work, you read for 20 minutes. And you contemplate and meditate for 20 minutes. So that's like a, it's like an hour and a half routine or less. It's like an hour and 20 minute routine. And if you do that every day, well, then you're hitting the whole spectrum. And you're getting into all levels of repression, all five levels of repression and resistance. And that can really free things up. You can identify where your problems are very, very quickly. And then when you identify where the problems are, well, then you're working on the real root causes. You're working on the things that you are repressing. Usually we just work on the things that we're good at. (laughs) And that's why there's so much repression persisting. (laughs) And that's a pretty good routine. It's a pretty good way to go about things. I mean, think think of the alternative. Like, what else could you do? You could just do your physical exercise. Well, then you're leaving out big gaps in your whole spectrum if you're not doing your journal or your emotional work. So just to recap for the end, we've got the physical level, which is impulse, the emotional level, which is desire. We've got the mental level, which is drive, the existential level, which is intuition. And we've got the spiritual level, which is revelation. And to do those respectively, you do body work, therapy, cognitive work, contemplation, and meditation. And that's all I have to say for now.